You know, as we're looking at, we're looking at David, the man who had God's heart, um, our authority has already been given to us. And the way we use our mouth to express that authority does in fact shape current events. And if the church is found cursing, then curses are gonna come to pass. Uh, that's just how much authority God has vested in his church. Well, what if we did have a better view and a better vision and a, a desired outcome for things rather than saying, well, that's it, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, I'm gonna curse it till it finally dies. We said, no, you know what? The meek shall inherit the earth and I'd like to inherit something really nice. Just saying. Okay, so, uh, so we're going to keep looking at David's heart. For those new and you haven't been with us for the series, we're, we're going to be in David's life for a little bit. And the reason why, there's so many great people in the scriptures to study, great lives to learn from. I mean, they're, they're, every one of them could be your favorite for the moment, except Samson. I still don't get that one. But all the other ones, you know, it's, it's just amazing stuff. I'm always picking on Samson. I don't want to meet him face to face now in heaven. I'm a little bit scared. So, dude, I heard what you said. What's your problem? You know, anyway. <laughs> but when Jesus came into the world, the Son of God, promise of the ages since the Garden of Eden finally takes on flesh and blood, the angel said he will sit on the throne of his father, David. Not on the kingdom's throne, but on the throne of his father, David. So David did something that impressed God so much with his life that when he became incarnate, he said, that's the throne. He made room for me in the earth. And I'm going to sit on that throne to begin with. And, uh, and then, of course, the kingdom of heaven, it's all, all history from there. So today, we want to look, uh, we're up to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, if you're following with us. Before I share, though, I've got to thank you guys. Last week, you all surprised me. Craig hijacked the service for a little bit and handed me a card. And when I opened it up, my wife and I looked into it, and we were absolutely blown away at your generosity. I've got to tell you, I would, you know, if I could put food on the table another way, I would absolutely do this for free. I just love you. I love what we do here. I love what God has done here, and I love what I get to do and who I get to hang out with, 100%. And I'll do it for free. But when you overwhelm us with that kind of generosity like you did in that card you gave us last week, it's just like, it's like the sprinkles on the icing on the cake. Like, I don't know. No, it's the, the blue frosty stuff around the edge <laughs> of the ice, because that's what it is. And it just really, it ministered to our souls and it communicated love to us in a really profound way overwhelmingly generous way. So thank you so much, guys. That really, really meant a lot for us and it touched us and, and I just needed to thank you for that. So um, you carry God's heart. You have God's heart. Today I want to talk to us about origins. Our origin. Do you know our origin matters? We were looking at that in Ephesians class, how understanding our true origin affects everything else about our lives. But David has an origin story. If you guys like superhero movies or comic books or, you know, anything, you like the origin story behind it, you like to know, why is that guy so mean? Or why is she the wicked witch? You know, what, how did that happen? Or why is this guy so astoundingly better than everybody else around him? What's the origin story? How did they become enemies in the first place? And we always want to know the backstory behind the great events. Well, David, like every hero and all of us do, has a backstory. We don't have a lot of detail about it, but there's this one little thing that happened in the house. I know, I understand that. Your backstory is amazing though, because you have great parents, and your backstory is beautiful, and I can't wait to see what comes of it. <laughs> so, so come to 1 Samuel 16 for a minute, and I'll join you there in just a moment. But I want to talk about how our origin and what happened in our early days shapes us 
but there's a greater revelation that shapes us even more into the reason why God birthed us in the first place. You ever ask that question? I hope you do. I hope you ask it from this pulpit frequently enough. I hope that you're asking it enough before the Lord. What am I here for? What is my reason for existing? There's, it's gotta be more than just getting the American dream, having a job, making some money, having a nice family and kids. There's, there's a desire in us for more and the reason for that is because Christ in us is always looking for more. Christ in us is looking until the kingdom of heaven is established, there's gonna be a restlessness in every one of our hearts. If there's not, that's why I'm in your life. <laughs> to make you restless that there is more. We're not just called to complacency. We're not just called to sit back and wait and see what happens. We're called to make it happen. Amen? So David was a man and made it happen, but let's take a look at a couple of things first. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul's preaching in Athens, and he said this to the crowd. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live upon the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Why? so that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. So God already had in mind the era in which we would live. I used to fantasize about, man, I wish I lived in the age of knights. Of course, because everybody knows I would have been a knight, right? Not the pauper who's shoveling poop out in front of his house because there's no sewage system. I wouldn't have been that guy, right? I would have been the knight. And all of us imagines we'd be, you know, in that class. It was a horrible time to be alive, but there were people that grabbed hold of God and changed the world. Thank you, forefathers of our faith. Thank you, people who were burned at the stake for translating the Bible into our language. Thank you for all those who went before in those times. But I hope all of us can get to a place where we're just grateful to God to be alive right now and in this country. We sure could use a lot more gratitude for living in this country. We, we'd just be grateful to God. I mean, you just gotta travel once, which by the way, I think we're going to Liberia in November. That's why I'm wearing more Liberian shirts. Not only that, but they're really comfortable and they're very slimming. <laughs> so, so we're going and I hope that, and I think that every American, every, everyone who has lost their gratitude or takes for granted the benefit of what we have in Christ and especially what we have in Christ as a nation, just ought to spend a week in a place like that. And if you don't come back and kiss the ground at the airport and thank God for what you had here, I'm gonna send you back without a, a return ticket for a little while. <laughs> but there is a, there's a heart of gratitude and there ought to be a heart of gratitude. That's the beginning of changing our words as Bell Ann exhorted us, the beginning of what comes out of our mouth. I'm grateful to God to be alive now, not just because of what we have, and I'm not cursing the darkness, but I'm grateful that I was born for such a time as this. You were born for this time period. The scripture says it. God chose now, and he chose the house. He chose the nation. He chose the town. He chose the household that each of us would grow up in, and that's the beginning of our origin story here in this life, and it's really important that we come to grips with it. How and where we grew up, it was the sovereign choice of God. Now I know right away for some of us, and I know some of these stories, that's a, wow, what kind of God would do that to me? Because it was a house of pain. It, maybe it was a house of outright abuse. For some I know it was a house of drug addiction and boyfriends coming and going, and it, it was not a nice environment to grow up in. What kind of a father would choose that kind of a life for his kids? Well, can we just say this and remind, I want to remind us again about God's sovereignty. He's not the great micromanager of the universe. 
I get really nervous when people start comforting people at a funeral with, well, there's a reason for everything. It's maybe true, but it's not, the reason for everything could be, well, God's putting you through all of this on purpose so that you'll turn into some kind of vessel. They get an easy life, but you get this tortured existence. He doesn't micromanage. There is a world that breaks his heart as much as it breaks ours. And every, every moment that we've experienced grief is the closest we'll ever get to knowing what God feels like all the time. Because he grieves over every lost one. He grieves over every war. He grieves over every famine. He grieves over every plague. He grieves over every single life that's been tortured. Why doesn't he always intervene? That's another message for another time. And maybe we wouldn't understand even if God explained it to us. But there is a family that God chose and that was the exact right house for us to grow up in. What choices our parents made, what choices our family made, what generational bondage our family carried and continues to carry, that's all part of it. But this is where God is able to make all things work together for good. He's able to even take that mess and make it into a ministry. He's able to take our experience, even if we grew up in an abusive, violent home, he's able to take that and bring glory to it, and we've got thousands upon thousands of testimonies to prove it. Our origin in this life does not determine God's plan and destiny for us in the sense of, man, I grew up in the wrong house, I'm never gonna become what God called me to be. And many of us live that way, and I wanna dig in a little bit on this with us today, and I'm gonna meddle. I don't know, I'm not gonna mean anybody's specific stories, I mean. I mean, I wanna dig into the point where we just take ownership of our own life, and we don't blame the generation that went before, who blame the generation that went before them, who blame the generation that went before them, and none of us takes responsibility. Why don't we become the generation that says, right here, right now, I have Christ, and I had a new beginning. It began in a tank like that, and I got severed from everything that used to be. Did it shape my personality? Absolutely it did. Did it shape my cultural value system? Of course it did. But we've got a new culture and we've got a new family. Why do you think Jesus told them, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family whose origin is in heaven, whose name is named after the name Jesus. Welcome to that family because that's the only family that last for eternity so in Romans 8 we know we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose notice how he wove purpose right into that it's like a word for all of us to grab hold of cling to memorize for those hours and those days when it's like what the heck why is this happening to me anybody else ask that that's good you're in good company not mine David wrote like a dozen psalms asking, why is this happening to me? Why do you keep leaving me when I need you most? Why do you let these people triumph over me? Don't you see what they're about? Dude, they'd sacrifice their kids to Baal and you're letting them have a victory over me, your son? What is that all about? In those days, the confidence, and this is the best way to reassure somebody who's walking through the valley, who don't like the way the good shepherd's leading at that moment. You ever say to the good shepherd, you sure you know where you're going? Don't look at me like that. The nervous laughter is because every one of us has asked that in our heart at least. Some of us had enough courage to voice it before the Father, and that's why we got a greater clarity and a greater depth of relationship on the other side, being honest before the Lord. And then he answers in his own way. Sometimes it's with an understanding that comes to the mind. How many of you have experienced that that's the exception, not the rule? 
usually doesn't come and explain it in a way that makes sense to us. I, I've told my kids, and a friend of mine tipped me off today, said, imagine your father was an astrophysicist who understands things like you know, magnetic gravitational waves and black holes and wormholes and, and all these you know, theories and understands what the word differential equations means, which I still don't understand. My college roommates took the class and they lost me. And he said, imagine if God were to explain everything to us, it would be like a four-year-old asking his astrophysicist father, tell me what you do at work, Daddy. Dad, Daddy looks at the stars, sweetheart. That, that's, you know, I mean, that's about all we get. And that's, you're talking about the sovereign Lord of the universe who sees the end from the beginning, who knows all things, trying to <laughs> communicate to this. And that's why walking with God, as I shared last week, is a hand-in-hand endeavor, a heart-to-heart endeavor. We don't worship a belief system. We don't worship a God with our intellect. Yeah, we love the Lord our God with our mind too, but there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that. We walk this life hand-in-hand with him. And even if we say to the good shepherd, why are we in the valley of the shadow of death again? Isn't there another way? We don't fear because why? Because he's with us, because we didn't leave him in that moment. We grab tight to his hand, as I shared last week, and walk that journey together. We're called according to his purpose. So here's what we do. We, do the, we all do this in some measure or another, and the day we were born again is the day we repented of this. We tend to blame other people for our own sin. right? And we, don't, we, we do this worse with our family of origin. Every one of us does it. Now I've been through some inner healing myself. I've gone and sat with people who have this kind of anointing. If you've ever been with somebody who has this anointing, you feel unraveled. Like they could see right through you and you feel like, man, if I would even tell half a lie right now, you'd know it. And it's not even that, that they necessarily have like a, like a fivefold prophet kind of thing. It's just like they just seem to know. You ever been with somebody like that? And you just feel unraveled. And I've been in that presence. I've been unraveled. And all of a sudden, all of my excuses for why I am the way I am. You know, I grew up in New York City. I was raised on the streets, like being raised by wolves. And I'm a little rough sometimes because, man, I had to fight for survival. You know, I had locker room stories and and I had to fight for my existence and avoid the, I mean, you know, avoid the bully we think, playground bully, beat you up with fists. No, I had to avoid the bully that had a 44 in his bag and was dealing cocaine. So that's why I'm rough and I would use that as an excuse so I got unraveled and said, now who is that guy? And I thought you said you buried somebody in a baptism tank in 1992? Oh yeah. Understanding our reason for being a certain way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in now and hope, I've never gotten any heat mail, so I don't even know why I hesitate. There are diagnoses, there are various conditions. Seems like we find new ones with each passing year which define something that's wrong with us to find something that doesn't operate in love, doesn't operate, you know, the best of how humans should operate. And then we have a name for it, and it becomes a diagnosable condition. I was a psych major my freshman year in college, and I would say there's like 10 times as many diagnoses now and conditions that we could say. Now that might be really helpful. Let me make sure I say this clearly. That could be really helpful to understand why we are the way we are, but that's all that it is and understanding. I wanna understand what, what got fed into me, why? Because now if it surfaces and I can see what's up with that, now I have weapons that are powerful for the tearing down of that stronghold. 
I understand why I am, but how many of you know understanding is only half the battle? Right, we have that saying, well, understanding is half the battle. You don't win half a battle. You get your butt kicked if you only half win a battle. Half winning the battle in Normandy means, uh, you know, a million soldiers dead on the beach. You can't half win a battle. Understanding is great. Now we come before the Lord and say, now give me the anointing to be an overcomer. Now give me a reason not to say, well, that excuses me from being the way I am now because this, that, and the other thing happened to me, whether in my family or in my neighborhood or whatever it is. And I know of, you know, some of you even that I've talked with, there's some horrific things that have happened in our past. Is there anything that's happened in our family of origin and our young life growing on that the cross has not dealt with? There's absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. When he said it's finished, he said it's finished. Sometimes it really is just a matter of apprehending all of what Jesus paid for on the cross. Then there are some times, and I'm gonna encourage you, I'll just say this, to encourage you to, to have some times where you allow somebody in, where you allow the Spirit of God in. This is discipleship. Discipleship means issue by issue, we reclaim the promised land of our heart. So how do you know something's still alive? It didn't quite die in that baptism tank. We're still doing it. We're still feeling it. We're still thinking it post-cross. Why do you think Paul, the apostle who could write the letter to the Romans, said, man, it's the things I do that I don't want to do, the things I don't I want to do that I don't do, and I find this law at work in me, and there's just like this war going on on the inside of me. This is what it's about. So understanding what I'm going to share to you today, understanding our origins is great, but it means now you understand the forces that you're contending with, the things that have come into your life that have sought to disrupt your call. Now when you have it, as Randy Clark so well puts it, if you spot them, you got them. Now you're not hiding anymore. Now you're not behind that bush. You're not working below the surface of my life. Now you're out in the open. Ha ha! Not for me to have an excuse to tell everybody, well, you have to put up with my anger, you have to put up with my manipulation, or you have to put up with me always being depressed because that's just what I was made to be. Now, we, now we've lost that and we say, okay, now I know that I'm that way. I need some help. And you have a body here at Hillside, I guarantee you, that's eager to help. I can tell you that your friends are eager to help because they're tired of dealing with it. God bless, if you have friends, as I have, that are in your life who don't mind getting in your face sometimes and telling you, you know you're being really selfish right now. I love that I have friends like that in my life. I hope you all have friends like that. And then you could say afterward, you don't have to clarify who it was, but you could say, and the Lord spoke to me. Yeah, he used my wife, but the Lord spoke to me. (laughs) Right? And then that's how we overcome. So let's, uh, our growth in God begins i mean it really begins to take on shape when we take responsibility when we say i'm not blaming anybody else i'm not shifting off of me responsibility for my behavior onto anybody and i'm going to tell you we're we're harshest on our our parents and our family of origin that's who we're we're always harshest on those who raised us because we had the most potential for hurt you know the root of all offense is unmet expectations right that that's where offense comes from so we were born with an expectation, my parents will love me the way God loves me. My parents will not fail to love me. My parents will know what I need. They'll meet my needs and they'll never get angry. They'll never be frustrated. They'll never do anything and they'll never sin because that, that, my parents, I mean, I'll never forget the moment. This really sunk in. It was child number five before this really sunk in, how powerful it is. But I was messing around with Anya 
on the floor and I think she was maybe 18 months old or something like that and we're just playing and I I was on top of her like this just kissing on her face and we were about this far apart made eye contact she looked up at me and she said are you God (laughs) I mean it's all cute right but then you realize that what I do to her is representative of the father wow that that gives you pause for a minute That gives you a desire, that gives us a desire, man. Lord, help me with these strongholds because I don't want to represent you in the flawed self that I am. Help me represent the Father better every day to my kids because there is this expectation. So that's where the root of all offense is, unmet expectations. And our growth in God comes when we take responsibility for the fact that do we need to forgive our parents the same way we're required to forgive everybody else? Yes, we are. They're no different. Our parents, the leaders in our life that that fell short, the other influences in our lives, the older siblings in our lives. We'll go look at David's house. You know who understands this? Is Ben, who got baptized today. What's it like? I mean, David had seven older brothers. You've got four older brothers? Three older brothers. Probably felt like seven some days. Well, you got older sisters too, which is another ball of wag anyway, <laughs> right? So older siblings, I mean, it's all of this. There is nobody that we're not required to extend forgiveness to, no matter who they are, even if they represent God's authority or God's presence in some way that we are required to forgive. We're also, by the way, required, if we've been the one to do the hurting, to go back and specifically own it. I've done this with all of my grown children. I've had conversations with them and I do it immediately when I sin against them as a father and I'll go to them, look them right in the face. Would you please forgive me for doing that, for talking to you that way, for saying that to you? That was absolutely wrong of me. Daddy spoke out of anger. I spoke out of frustration and the words that came out of my mouth, I know that they could be really harmful to you. Would you please forgive me? I repent of that. I will do my part never to do that again but I want to ask you to forgive me and I want you to know I own that. I didn't have any right to do that to you just because I'm your father. That is so powerful and so important that we're very specific about that. So fathers, mothers, even with your grown children, I urge you to do that. They may or may not receive it. They may, they may be in the place where they're so angry or uh, they're walking in unforgiveness that they don't forgive, but that is our responsibility. That's our part in the forgiveness process to own our sin. More on that when we get to how David really blew it in his life a few chapters down the road. So our growth in God begins when we take responsibility for our own words and deeds. That opens the door now for God to make all things work together for good. He'll take that mess and make it into a ministry. He'll take that origin story here and turn it into something glorious. Do you notice in all of the great stories, Anya and I were just talking about this a couple of days ago, how the hero always has some jacked up origin story. They're almost always an orphan, right? Have you ever noticed that in all the fairy tale stories? There's no dad ever. Cinderella's got no dad. Snow White's got no dad. I mean, there's no dad in any of them. I don't know what's up with that. But they, they got this thing where they, they just seem to come from nowhere. They overcome this. They, they had nothing to work with to prepare them for the thing that God was gonna use them to do. And yet they did it anyway. 
Though all of us have opportunity for that because we've been baptized into Christ and we've been clothed with Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, right? Our national origin doesn't matter anymore. There's neither slave nor free. Our socioeconomic status doesn't matter anymore. And there's neither male nor female. It doesn't matter what gender we are. Why? Because we're all one in Christ. That's the reality of who we are. So David, we're gonna look at David's story. I, I am coming to 1 Samuel 16, I promise. And don't worry, I'm not going to be long in that passage. It's a quick story. I'm making the point of the story now before we read it. But David wrote this in Psalm 139. He said, you wove me, you you formed my inward parts, Psalm 139. Precious psalm worth memorizing. It's just one of those psalms that really captures what it's like to walk hand in hand. Remember, that's the meaning of David's name. Not just a man after God's own heart, but a man who has God's own heart and the man who walks hand in hand with God through everything. This is what it feels like. You formed my inward parts. You wove me together from my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That's just poetic. It didn't mean that you formed me in hell or in the grave. It means in a place where nobody could see, the mother's womb, a place where no eye could see what was going on in there. Now we can, which is kind of cool. I mean, now you could go right down the street at Lifeline and, and you could see where your baby looks like. I don't know if they do that unless, uh, like for everybody, but I mean, that's good. You could see your baby. You could see the gender. You could see the smile. You could see him sucking on their thumb. You can see him sucking on two fingers if it's a family trait you guys got in the womb. It's incredible. We could see it all in there, but that's where we're being formed. And David said that. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So there's this book. God wrote the story of our life before we began to live it. God wrote the story of our life. He wrote the good works. He wrote a book that was like an epic adventure thing. Whatever your favorite kind of book is, either it was an epic adventure or an epic romance. I don't care. Whatever kind of story floats your boat, he wrote that story perfectly. And, and we have the opportunity, if we could live like Jesus did, this is, I, I'm, I still believe this, we have the Holy Spirit in us, we could live a life with no sin. Yes, we can. I hear it. I'm feeling it. Nobody's ever done it but Jesus. Doesn't mean it's not possible. We have the Holy Spirit in us. What do you think the point is of that? For us to say, well, you know, I'm still just a sinner saved by grace, or to say, oh, I have a new opportunity. There's a whole new world in front of me now. I have a whole new opportunity, and I've got no excuse anymore to stay like I was. No excuse. i got the same Spirit that lives in me that came upon Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan. I have that same Spirit. I can become perfect just like the Father is perfect. That's not a vain command. All of these things were written. So as closely as we walk with God, how many of you know Jesus walked hand in hand with the Father through his whole life? So he lived out his book perfectly. He walked hand in hand with the author. In other words, he did everything according to what was laid out for him, and he had an amazing life, even though his course of life was to take on sorrows and grief and to become the embodiment of sin. That was his course, but even on the cross, he had the joy set before him. He had a joy set before him at his lowest moment because he'd obeyed the Father all the way even to death of the cross. So it is with us. That's the kind of story that God wrote 
for us if we're willing to live life together with the author. So the purpose of our process in God, David had a process, and then we're gonna get to 1 Samuel 16. He had a process. We're gonna be in his process for several weeks, I believe, just to look at how did he do it? How did he do it? Today is uh, lesson number one or whatever we're up to now on how to make sure that we don't trip up and stumble out of our divine destiny and purpose because of all the things the enemy throws at us. And the first thing he tries to throw at us is our origin story. Before we even knew Christ, before we were even awakened to the things of God, before we even knew that there was God and understood a thing about what meant to walk with him, the enemy was already at work trying to, trying to dissolve our plan, trying to ruin the foundations of what God's purpose was in our lives. It's a really good question to ask, and I've asked it of a, a group I'm walking with here at the church right now that feel called to a five-fold ministry kind of office. Like, what can you see the enemy did when you were young to try to interrupt the call of God on your life? And almost every time, it's an area of your strength that the enemy's going after. He, doesn't, he tempts us to sin in our weakness. He tempts us to stumble out of our call and purpose by attacking our strengths, trying to turn our strengths into a sin. He's amazing at it. So the purpose of our process is to strip away the false identity. Some of us were told things by our parents, by our teachers, by our friends. We were told lies. And, and some of them are obvious ones, like you're stupid, or you'll never amount to anything, or you know, you're, you're just, you know, you're gonna work wherever for the rest of your life because you didn't do this. And we were told all kinds of lies like that when we were little. God's process in our lives is to work all of that out of us. Because to sit on the throne while you're carrying all that junk, well, you don't need me to name any leaders that became misleaders because they had issues. You put somebody in a position of authority that has issues that they haven't really dealt with, it gets really ugly really fast and then repeats the cycle into the next generation. He wants to work those things out. He wants our false identity dealt with and put behind us. He wants us to believe the truth about what God made us to be. He wants to replace it with a higher understanding that will encourage us into our purpose and into our destiny. So here's David's origin story. 1 Samuel 16. I told you I'd get here. Um, and I'm gonna need you to take over the slides, all right, because I'm gonna look uh, right down here. Uh, I remember these today. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. I think it's important to pause here for a second. I, wanna, I always wanna be comparing. It almost feels like King Saul was appointed by God just for the sake of showing them what they would have if they continued to just go their own bullheaded stubborn way. Remember, they said, give us a king like all the other nations have a king. So God told Samuel, I'm gonna select a king for myself from among his sons. That's significant because back in chapter, where is it that Saul was anointed? Chapter eight. Chapter eight, Saul was anointed and the people came and told uh, Samuel, now appoint a king for us to judge us. Give a king to judge us 
And God said, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me from being their king. And, and tell them what it's gonna be like. So Samuel told them, this is what a king's gonna be like. He's gonna take your sons for himself. He's gonna appoint for himself commanders over thousands. He's gonna take your daughters for himself to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and whatnot. He'll take the best of your fields and they're gonna be uh, places for his servants. They're gonna, uh, his officers and his servants are gonna do and it's gonna be his work. You hear what's happening? They said, give us a king. So they got a king for themselves and a king who would govern a kingdom for himself. And finally, the Lord said to him, you know, look, Samuel, just you, because of the king you've chosen for yourselves, the Lord's gonna, you're gonna have 40 years of a miserable leader. 40 years because you want a king for yourself. And now God says, now I'm gonna pick a king for myself. Do you know that we were chosen not for ourselves, but for God's own good pleasure? We were chosen for God's own good pleasure. That's why everything that we do, everything that we do is ministry to the Lord. From the work of our hands to the things that we do, from changing diapers to singing high praises, all of it, all of it is for his good pleasure. We were made for his good pleasure. And being made for his good pleasure means we live a life of good pleasure. Because to have that kind of fellowship with the king of the universe, to live in such a way where he's pleased with us and we're pleased with him, that is paradise. That is paradise. You don't need to wait to die and be raised from the dead. That is paradise right now when we live that way. You guys okay? Does this make sense? All right, let's keep going then. So he goes on and he says, Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he's going to kill me. So the Lord said, all right, all right, here's a little subterfuge for you. Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the house of sacrifice, and I will show you what you'll do. You'll anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He came to Bethlehem. <laughs> I love this. The elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? Imagine having such an anointing for prophecy that when the people greet you at town, like, are we going to be okay? by the time you get through with us, you know, is God coming? Is it going to be like Gomorrah here? Or, you know, and, and Samuel, no, 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 that's cool. It's all good. Relax. Just, uh, you know, come uh, uh, in peace. I, came, I just came to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So he, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So now they're at Jesse's house. It's just Jesse and his kids. When they entered, he looked at Eliab, that was his firstborn son, and he said, surely this, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. I've rejected him, for God sees not like man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, that's the secondborn, made him pass before Samuel. He said, nope, not that one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And it could have gone on and on, but he said, all right, I've named three, that's good enough. He made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these. So Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he brought him in. He was ruddy, beautiful, and handsome. David is always described that way. He just said, don't look at his outward appearance, and he's described. The prophet just couldn't get over it. He was so beautiful. I couldn't stop staring at his eyes. 
and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So he took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And then Samuel went back on his way to Ramah. So here's David. All the rest of the sons are called in the house, and David was left out with the sheep. Now we know that this family had servants that kept the sheep because we'll see in the next chapter that David left the servants, the, the hirelings, with the sheep when he went to fight Goliath. So they had others that could have tended to the sheep, but they left David out there with the sheep. He wasn't even invited when the prophet came to the house. Fathom for a minute, I don't even know who to name. Pick your favorite prophet. Pick, you know, whoever it is that has a national ministry, never misses it when he prophesies or she prophesies. And, and that prophet's coming over your house for dinner. And your father tells you, now we need you to go out and do your chores out in the barn. You need to muck the stalls. Because none of us are shepherds, so you know, this is different. You're left outside. What's it like, how many uh, babies do we have? How many last? You're the caboose in your family. You're the third, fourth, fifth born, whatever you are. Put them up high. Be proud of that. Last born. There's certain qualities, right? If you ever read about birth orders of certain things. Tell you, you didn't put your hand up. There's certain things that are pretty common experiences for the baby. For one thing, everybody older than them is their parent, right? All your older siblings think they're, they have some authority over you until you learn the phrase, you're not the boss of me. And you're always kind of, you know, you're always going to be viewed that way. It doesn't matter how old you get. I'm warning you now, your parents are always going to see you that way. And there's a grieving process. Now I'm experiencing it. When your last one has certain milestones of growth, you start realizing, oh, I'm going to miss that stage of life. And and they try to hold on to it and, and all of that for as long as they can. So you're babied, you're spoiled. You're spoiled rotten in most families. I'm being stereotypical in that you know, we have Aaron in our house. We, our family's spread by 19 years. Our firstborn's 31 and Taya's 11. So we, we have a 19 year gap. Aaron's dead smack in the middle of it all. See, he's the last born of Blair 1.0 and the firstborn of Blair 2.0 in our house. So he's kind of in the middle. So we don't know what to make of Aaron in our house. So, so birth order is not always a thing. So he's both a last born and a firstborn. That's a study in itself. But there's certain things, you know, you can imagine David out there. You know what happens? You're, you could get bullied. I mean, you're, you're, you know how boys are. You're always at the bottom of the pile. You're the youngest. You're not strong enough. They're older and stronger. I mean, some of his brothers are potentially 15 years older than him. Imagine growing up. It's like being out in a pack of wolves. You're kind of like, Dad, are you coming out to the field today? Nope, you're out there with your brothers. <laughs> you better not tell Dad, right? None of you ever did that. Go do something, don't you dare tell dad what we just did to you. I mean, imagine Joseph. I mean, that was him. He was the last born in his family. Joseph is like the boilerplate for the last born in every family. They threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, <laughs> you know? And you probably feel like all the, all the last borns are like, yep, yep, my, 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 they would do that to me, absolutely. So David's growing up with this thing and the day comes that, that the prophet's at the house and he's not even invited, invited in by his own father. Imagine that. That's David's origin story here in this world. He's he's the baby, he's the one who's overlooked, he's the one who's left out. But when God has a call on your life, being overlooked by men has absolutely no no effect on it. Nothing to do with it. People can, out of jealousy, as in Joseph's brothers, 
reject you and push you to the side. You're going to be sold into slavery. You're going to rise to the top. You're going to be thrown into prison. You're going to rise to the top. Finally, you're going to be invited in flowers. You're going to be invited up to the tippy top. There's no way to stop whatever the call of God is. You gotta, we gotta believe that with all of our heart. Whatever things have come against the call and purpose of our lives, none of it can thwart what God's actual plan is. David lived his life with that understanding. You'll see as we go through his wilderness years that David had such a trust in the sovereign plan of God that even when he's being hunted for his life, even when he's within inches of death, he's able to say, I trust you, you anointed me king. It don't make much sense why I'm on the backside of a wilderness all this time with 600 of the worst miscreants in all Israel, but I know a throne is in front of me and nobody can stop that from happening. And therefore, I don't need to make it happen. More on that when we get to that. Being overlooked, you ever feel overlooked? You ever feel like you have a gift, maybe at your workplace, and, and somehow this clown over here who like, you know, he, he just he sloughs off, he doesn't put all of his heart into it, but he's a little bit more gifted, maybe he gets promoted and you're overlooked. And your family, maybe, you're the one that always got blamed. One of the other kids would do something, and then somehow, like the moment that you did it for the first time, you're the one who got caught. You ever do it, right? I mean, you gotta have the anointing of Daniel, like a judge, Solomon's wisdom to be a parent. You go in a room and there's a fight going on, and they all say, he started, he started, she started it. How are you going to get to the bottom of it? Because you just happened to walk in by the time somebody just blew up. Maybe you feel that way. You felt that way in your home. You felt like no matter what you did, you were always responsible for it, even if it wasn't you. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. Maybe in school you had that experience. I did. It seemed like any time I messed up, I got caught. Elliot never got caught. Elliot did it every day. I'm gonna, can I get a little group therapy here? He got a, every day Elliot would get away with murder. I did what he did once I got caught. You ever feel like that? Praise God. Can't stop you from becoming what God called you to be. Being overlooked, being passed over for a promotion. All of that actually I would propose to you as a necessary part of the process. That's as I shared last week, working King Saul the second out of us so that we could lead like David led, so that we could have all of whatever's in there that we're gonna otherwise carry into our call worked out of us. So there's gonna be everything Jesus experienced, everything David experienced, injustice, being overlooked, being you know, looked at in a way that just wasn't accurate, not being seen, not being heard. You know, you feel like, man, you're raising your hand in class and everybody else gets called on but you. And you could feel that way, but the truth is, whatever God's marked you for, it's gonna to come to pass if we patiently, hand in hand, with the Lord, walk it out, nothing can stop it. Isaiah, Jesus himself, you know, uh, David experienced this, but he was just, uh, it almost feels like David lived everything Jesus had to live. All of what happened in Jesus' life with the exception of being a sacrificial atonement on the cross, David lived all of it. Betrayal, yep. Overlooked, yep. Misunderstood, yep not really seen for what he was, yep, running for his life from his hometown. If you're following the chosen, wasn't that awesome how they did that, that scene in Nazareth, when he just walked right through him, they're gonna throw him off a cliff? So that was a little teaser, the chosen pays me to throw these little ads in, I know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I can't wait for the new episode tonight. Anyway, um, here's what Isaiah said about Jesus, centuries before he came, who has believed our message, and to whom has the 
arm of the Lord been revealed. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. He grew up like a root out of parched ground and he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. No, there's nothing external about him that made us say, oh, there's the Messiah, that's the one. Not only that, but he was despised and he was forsaken of men. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He went back to his own people and he said, hey, you guys are proving the whole proverb to be true. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town. You're proving it. This is my origin story, Nazareth. I grew up in Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was the saying of the day about Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem of all places, this backward city full of stinky shepherds. You know, that's his origin story. And unless you believed Mary's story, you grew up a child born out of wedlock. It was what probably most of the people believed. If they didn't believe in the virgin birth like we do, then they believed, man, you guys, you know, before you got married, you, you went, you were born out of wedlock. You, you were conceived in sin. That's how they viewed Jesus and, that, and, and we did not esteem him. We have a saying that we use in, uh, in pastor circles about, have you considered that there might be a David on the hillside? In other words, that's a phrase we use to mean, is there somebody who doesn't present for the need of the house that's not really obvious yet, but is actually carrying the anointing for exactly what's needed. I became that at Christ Community Church. This is how I became the children's pastor there. I had no ministry experience as far as church goes, certainly not in a church of 2,000. So I, I interviewed with the elders for children's pastor and they said, no, you don't have the right background. You don't have the experience we're looking for. We need somebody who can hit the ground running. You know, it's a big ministry. And so I felt overlooked. I felt like, no, I've done some stuff with kids. I feel like God's prepared me. I certainly feel in my spirit ready. I mean, I know I'm gonna be overwhelmed, but man, I, I feel like I've been doing stuff, you know, in secret and, and that. And then eventually they came back after I'd ministered a little bit and they said, you know, we believe you're the one. And they used that phrase. You've, you've been like a David on the hillside. We didn't even recognize you were here already and you're exactly what the Lord's called. You might be that wherever you are. You feel overlooked. You feel like you're, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting for this, whatever it is, for this desire of your heart to come. You are not overlooked. You're David waiting on the hillside and the prophet, the voice of the Lord, will find you. He'll find you. Even if seven others are presented in front of you for promotion, the Lord is strong enough. He's prophetic enough to say, I haven't chosen any of these. And maybe we wrongly put somebody else in a position. God's able to work that together for good. And even the delay in the promotion, all of those things are all things God's working together in us so that we will lead like David lived and sit together with Jesus on the throne of David. That's our divine destiny. So here's our origin story. Our origin didn't begin in the house we grew up in. The beginning of our existence was not on the day we became incarnate. That's not blasphemous to say, it just means we took on flesh. Right? I'm not saying that we're the second incarnation of Christ. The body of Christ is, but that's another message for another day. But it says in Ephesians 1 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we'd be holy and blameless in him. Before God even said, let there be light, we were chosen in Christ. That's our origin story. We connect to that origin story in heavenly places. What could possibly happen to us here in this life that could ever interfere with that? 
before whoever it is that we blame or for whoever it is who tried to trip up our destiny even came into existence, God said, I've got some ideas for this life and I'm choosing you. He looked at every one of us, I choose you for this. And there are gonna be some things that are gonna happen because the world's not as friendly a place as it one, one day will be. But nothing's gonna stop me Nothing's going to stop you from coming into the fullness of that purpose. So origins matter. Our origin begins in heavenly places. Understanding this is the key to our identity and the key to our purpose is knowing our identity. How do you know a lion is something to be feared? Because you read it in a book? Or if you stand in front of a lion and it roars at you and you look at the size of those claws and the size of those teeth, and the size of its massive muscles on its body. That's why you fear it, and you know that thing has a destiny, and it's to be the, the king of the jungle, not because somebody told you to. In other words, who we are becomes manifest, and when we come back into grips with our true identity, our genuine origin story, which is in heavenly places, nothing else that happens here in the earth matters. It may have shaped us, it may have formed us, but we were first formed in heavenly places. Our incarnation happened when God's will for our lives began on earth as it was written in heaven. Our life is an answer to the very prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God had some ideas. He had some thoughts about us. He had a a purpose and a vision for our lives. Then came the day when that word, that thought of his heart, took on flesh and you came into existence. And I came into existence. Is this too deep? Am I going too long? I feel like I'm starting to lose some of you. I'll hurry up. No, I won't. How many of you can see that having that kind of a vision for our lives? Now, I'm not, again, I want to reiterate this. I think that we need to deal with our stuff. I think that when we know what it is that keeps holding us back, if it lies inside, this is where the war really is at. If it lies on the inside, we need to deal with that stuff. You know, thinking better doesn't solve everything. Even having a higher vision doesn't solve everything. If there's still junk, if there's still ball and chain attached to us, acknowledge that, but don't learn to live with it. Anything contrary to what heaven had in mind, what God had in mind when he created us, we ought to use that anointing we got to break off that yoke, amen? So Ephesians goes on and says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Are you ready to walk in those good works? Okay, then it's time. Let's stand to our feet and just take a moment before the Lord and pray. To understand and to have this revelation about our origin story requires that we, we first own whatever it is that we've carried from our family of origin, from our childhood, from whatever things happened to us along the way, BC. Maybe some of it happened after we came to Christ too. It's not like all the stuff stopped happening. The enemy knows how to just keep piling on those strongholds and keep reinforcing beliefs, understandings of things that are wrong that we've thought since we were five years old for some things. But God in a moment can just break through with revelation understanding So I say now in Jesus' name, with revelation of heaven, the revelation of the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, who wrote in a book all of the days of your life before you lived the first one of them, 
the God who chose you in Christ before he laid the foundations of the earth. May that God penetrate right now through every lie, every lie. You are not insufficient for what God called you to do. You are not lacking anything to do the thing that you were born to do. There's not been something that you've done, whether you've done it once or a million times, that can prevent the call of God from manifesting out of your life. You're not stupid. You're not one who's not gonna amount to anything. You're one who was chosen by the King of all kings and never makes mistakes, who formed you perfectly, fashioned you perfectly for what it is that he created you to be. I release you in Jesus' name to manifest Christ in you, the most perfect form of your identity. Now in Jesus' name become manifest in you. Fear no longer being great and glorious. Some of you, I just I feel like some of you had a lid put on you by others who, it's like they pulled you down to their own level. They spoke words to you out of jealousy like Joseph's brothers. They spoke words to you that were filled with hopelessness. Basically saying you, you can't rise to that. Like you're stuck with this for life. And I re, we reject that word in Jesus' name. Take that word as it bubbles up in your heart and throw it down in Jesus' name. You were created by the master craftsman perfectly woven together, perfectly made for good works. I release you to manifest those good works in Jesus' name. Be what God created you to be. Be the human being that you are, just your existence alone. You know, I keep using this word. I want to throw a word of wisdom to you that my pastor gave to me when I was ordained. Uh, pastor Phil, the day I was ordained, he looked me right in the eye, and I'd been with him already at that point for what? Uh, 12, 14 years, something like that. Yeah, about 14 years. He looked me right in the eyes and he said, Steve, I just have one word for you and what you have to do now. Manifest. Manifest. And we use that word in charismatic circles to mean to have a spiritual manifestation because of the baptism of the Spirit. But what the word actually means is take what's on the inside and reveal it on the outside without hindrance. So whatever hindrances you believe, throw them to the ground now in Jesus' name. Some of you had words that popped up in your mind while I was praying. Take those thoughts captive now to the obedience of Christ. Because in the end, that's really all that it is. It's that my life, I'm going to obey the Lord regardless of whatever restrictions were placed on me. None of those matters to the Lord. What matters is that when he says it, I've already done it before I even get to do it. When he says go, I say I'm going. When he says jump, I say I'll hide. When he says, here, this is who you are, I say, amen, that's who I am. That's who I am. Lord, I pray that you would come with such a revelation of identity into every heart. There wouldn't be a doubt a day longer. Not a doubt a day longer. Chosen, accepted in the beloved, loved with an everlasting love, born for a purpose and a destiny that nobody can do better than you. I feel like some here believe that. Some of you have allowed a lie to restrict you and thinking, well, somebody else does this so much better than I do, so I'd rather take a backseat and let them do it. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I urge you to repent of that thought. Because if God said it's you, then it's you, and there is nobody better than you. 
I remember I once heard a guy who leads this huge ministry in New York City. Uh, I mean, like tens of thousands of kids every Sunday are being ministered to on sidewalk Sunday schools and in their church building in Brooklyn. And I remember at a conference, he got up on the mic and he said, I believe that I was God's second choice because someone else wasn't willing to do it. And, um, um, uh, oh goodness, not Lance Wall now. Um, the evangelist from California. Mario Murillo, thank you. Mario Murillo was also at that conference. He got up and he actually rebuked him right in front of all of us, like a thousand people there, and he rebuked him. He said, no, 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 the Lord chose you. You're not his backup plan. He doesn't have backup plans. He only has plan A. He did not make a mistake when he called you. I hope you received that. And, and he received it. This, I won't name him. This guy received it. He said, you know what? I repent of that thought. That is so wrong. I teach kids every week to be who God created them to be. And here I am living a lie that I was God's second choice for it. He didn't choose you as a second choice. He chose you in Christ before there was such a thing as a second choice. Lord, I pray that you'd give, let faith rise right now to believe it, to just believe it. You're not God's afterthought. You're not the one who has to fill in because someone else wasn't faithful. He chose you, chose you. I pray a great peace will come and a great comfort will come. Lord says, just, just get comfortable in your own skin. Just get comfortable in your own skin. Reject that spirit of performance and comparison. It says, oh, I can't do it like so-and-so, therefore I can't do it. Reject that spirit. That's such a lie. Such a lie. There's only one you and nobody could do you better than you. You are absolutely uniquely handcrafted by the master craftsman. Just accept yourself. Accept yourself the way you've been accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray now you'd put a grit and a determination and a backbone in every one of your saints. Let, let, there, let this be a day of strength and courage, of being strong and very courageous, not afraid to manifest, not afraid even of the glory that's on the inside of us, as if we're going to hurt somebody because we're glorious. Not afraid of anything that Christ in us wants to manifest. Let this be a new day of bold and courageous saints going out and just manifesting just being what we are on the inside, now on the outside. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Wednesday night, we'll be back in the book of Ephesians. If, you're, if this word touched you in that kind of a way of, man, I, I think I never actually have understood who I am. We're in Ephesians right now, and that book is stellar to understand who we are in Christ. So come and join us Wednesday night, 6.30 uh, for some more of that. God bless you. Go and manifest. That's going to be awesome.